Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Tech Sisters Stories. Tech Sisters is a community that supports Muslim women in tech through storytelling and sisterhood. My name is Grace, and I get to interview the amazing women in our community, share their stories and the lessons they learned. Today we have Amira Chalbi, who is absolutely wonderful. Mashallah, I love talking to her. She has been a wonderful, humongous help on Tech Sisters lately. And I'm so glad to share her story with you. I hope you enjoy it. Today on Tech Sisters Stories, we are excited to have Amira Chalbi. Amira is a UX slash CX researcher at Worldline Global. She's experienced in UX design and research, data visualization, innovation, UX strategy, and market studies. Mashallah. Amira is passionate about contributing to the development and enrichment of the community. And she's been a wonderful part of Tech Sisters. She's been helping us so much. So I'm really excited to feature your story. Thank you so much for coming on, Amira. Thank you so much for the introduction. And uh, thank you also for inviting me to, to have this chat with you. And I'm happy also to be able to discover the Tech Sisters community and to contribute as much as I can to the animation and development of this community. Well, alhamdulillah. It's wonderful. So, Amira, where does your story begin? How did you first get into tech? Okay, so my story is somehow different from a regular path that we can have. So, when I finished my secondary studies in Tunisia mm-hmm. back in 2007, oh, I... you're as old as me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I selected to the medical studies, so to be a doctor. But after some months uh, studying medical studies, I figured out that it's not uh, the the path that I would would like to continue. So basically, I was attracted to medical studies mainly for the human part, the fact that uh, you would have a great chance to help people, take care of them. And the you know, humanitarian side and value of being a doctor, but then I sit down with myself and said, okay, this was my main motivation to to continue doing medical studies. But I figured out that the rhythm, the style of medical studies, especially for for the first years, you are more about uh, learning and learning a lot and not practicing a lot, especially for the first uh, year. So, okay, so I can keep my main motivation, keeping the human in the heart of my career, but still having a more motivating path for me, which was more about creativity, the kind of person who wants always to be stimulated around creativity and be dynamic and feel my touch in the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And the first years of medical studies, you don't have still yet this opportunity. You may have then, once, especially when you start practicing, going to hospitals, you may have your uh, part of initiative, creativity, or personal touch, but it comes later, and they didn't have the, the patience, I think, to, to go through this process. Mm-hmm. And so I changed it to tech study because I made a lot of reflection about what direction to take next. And I was hesitant between two fields, the more graphic design uh, and the tech field. When I started reading, uh, discussing with students from these two different domains and even with 
professionals from the different domains. I figured out that with tech, you can have both creativity and more technical part that I had already in my secondary school that my parents especially didn't want me to, to lose. To give it all up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I found that tech was a very suitable uh, choice where you can combine both yeah, the technical aspects, mathematics and so forth, programming and so forth, but also a lot of creativity. And so, yeah, I finished with having a bachelor in computer science. And then why the choice of the domain of uh, human-computer interaction, uh, more specifically? Mm-hmm. Um, in the second year of my bachelor, I had my first course of human-computer interaction. And the professor was very enthusiastic about this domain. She did even her PhD in this domain. So I oh. was very impressed with the, how we can combine both computer science, but also psychology, cognitive sciences, all different domains that touch these human values that I was seeking always in my choices of career. So yeah, I said from that, this would be my field for the rest of my career. <laughs> and so... Yeah, I chose then yeah to uh, to pursue the rest of my studies here in France. So I chose uh, a master program to follow a master program where we have HCI uh, uh, specialization, and then yeah, I followed the path with a PhD uh, studies within the same field, human computer interaction and also information visualization. And yeah, now I'm continuing this path with another perspective because you see the and you study human computer interaction from an academic and perspective and then you discover another way and another perspective uh, on this domain in the industry and it's uh, yeah it's uh, to me it's another step in my career because you then uh, start mixing different domains like for example market uh, study uh, you start also considering different factors that you did not always consider when you are more in academia like yeah, business considerations yes. strategy and so forth and to me it's a next level of knowledge and uh, a very exciting experience and challenge at the same time where you can find different ways of mixing different domains in the same goal of making uh, user experience or customer experience better uh, around the services and products that everyone would use in, in the society. Yeah. Oh, mashallah, what a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. I really love that journey and how you're willing and you're curious to find a thing that's fitting you. And you found it, mashallah. You're talking about your professor who's really passionate about the human-centered computer design, and you just followed exactly in her footsteps, mashallah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, really nicely. And I like how you started it off saying that this isn't a traditional path into technology, but your story is reflected in a lot of other people that we've had on the show, You know, especially the part about starting off in medical sciences. We've had quite a few people. <laughs> really? Off. Okay, yes. interesting. <laughs> okay, so it's good to know. Yeah, alhamdulillah, you're not alone. I think what's interesting is, uh, especially in, in Muslim families, you know, there's the the joke that we always have to be doctors or engineers and tech isn't really on the radar as much. Yeah, I um, always say to mom that it's it's sure that I didn't realize your dream of seeing your do- your <laughs> your daughter a medical doctor, but yeah, a doctor in computer science. So we have uh, 
the middle of the, the glass, which is already filled. <laughs> <laughs> but then she could say if someone was sick, you can't save them with your computer. So. <laughs> mm, it, I can discuss okay. more about this point. Yeah, I can tell her that if you turn your head around in the hospitals, you would see computers everywhere that facilitate the work of doctors. Yeah. That's but a really I good think comeback she, to that. She, yeah. She's happy uh, since she sees that I'm happy with what I'm doing now and it's the the principle for her, I think. Yeah, that's it. I think parents just want to see us in a safe happy. Yeah, yeah, happy and safe. And uh, yeah. it doesn't matter so much that they're doctors. It's just that yeah. they have a reliable income that we don't have to struggle. I am interested in what you were saying about the difference between the academic and the business domains. I'm wondering, I think especially working in France, what has been your feeling as a Muslim woman in both of those uh, spheres? Has it been different? I would start by talking about the difference in general between academia and industry for for everyone, I think, who had pursued a PhD, especially in whichever domain, I think, and then uh, tries to move towards industry. In mm-hmm. France, one of the challenges that I met when I started looking for opportunity in industry is that Many companies do not give real value to PhD studies. In many times, you should finally apply as having master's degree and not even use the fact that you have a PhD. So it doesn't matter to them. And more to me, more uh, pitchfall that some in some cases some companies would have a negative uh, view on people who have a PhD. So for some companies, uh, having done a PhD means that you are a lot into theory. You don't have practical perspective and practical way of working. You have been isolated in your corner in your lab doing research during three years. And they are not aware that we as researchers have an eye on what happens in the society, in the industry. You are in many projects, uh, you can even collaborate with um, industrial institutions. Mm-hmm. There are more and more projects that are constructed and realized in collaboration between academia and industry. So one of the challenges is this perception of what is research and what is being a PhD for some companies. Another frustrating point that is very specific to our domain of UX, many companies would consider that all UX experts are designers and specifically more visual and user interface designers and they don't see that we don't only do the part of designing uh, beautiful interfaces but there is a lot of work done the process of reflecting about this design, testing this design, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. And so, yeah, they have very limited understanding of, for some companies, of what is uh, the domain of uh, UX design and UX research. And so it was very challenging to me to find companies that do understand the real value of, uh, of having these skills of UX research and give the opportunity to apply your expertise in, in the right uh, role. And as a, for the specific point, as a woman, I would say that in academia, when I was doing my PhD, I didn't feel any difficulties or challenges. The 
only challenge that I had to deal with was the fact that I didn't have the right to, to teach in universities because when you are wearing hijab, you don't have the right to, to teach. But yeah, you can still continue doing your PhD research without doing that. But it was something that was uh, really missing to my training as a future researcher and even future professor. And this is something that I would wish it to do to be able to to teach. But uh, yeah, I was able to continue with this uh, minor frustration in mind. And it's the same challenge when you start looking for opportunities in industry. There are many companies that would uh, simply refuse to accept your application and even discuss with you because you are wearing hijab. So this is something very challenging here. In France, but alhamdulillah, I end up finding a company where I am now, which is worldline that respects the differences of everyone, that makes me feel very respected and gives me the opportunities to contribute, to be even in front lines for many projects without having this consideration of what I'm wearing or what I believe. So this is something very uh, important for us as a Muslim women to to feel in our work and uh, in the society in general. I'm really happy that you found a company that you feel safe and respected and valued for who you are. I'm sad to hear that that is the exception. I'm wondering, because you said that there's discrimination based on your name and with the hijab not necessarily my name i think it's more about the hijab so i have to deal even with situations where i was in the middle of interviews and one of the questions is concerning your hijab and mm. to me this is not a question that should be asked to anyone be her muslim woman or whatever other convictions or choices there should be not a question about the personal choices in a professional uh, interview I had to face many situations where one of the questions that I raised was about it. Do you feel maybe that it's good to have those questions in the interview stage because it lets you know very early on that this would not be a good company for you? I think I would prefer not to deal with these situations in face-to-face and they should maybe just simply make a decision that they won't move forward with my application and I would be happy with this answer without asking for why. But to mm-hmm. me, it's very brutal sometimes to get these questions in face-to-face and having to discuss your choices. Yes, I can imagine. Subhanallah, and they're missing out on so much knowledge. Like you said, you're a master of your field, mashallah. UX research has so much benefit to give to these companies and to their products that they're not valuing anyway, and they're not valuing your contribution. So it's such a, it's a shameful loss. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yes, the UX research is not necessarily valued as it should be mm. in many companies. Yeah, and I think in many societies, not specifically in France, but in all over the world, many uh, obstacles that people still have in their daily life with services and products come majorly from the fact that these products or services weren't designed with people who will be using them at the end. There weren't enough uh, research 
uh, user research work around these products or, or services, be it in the phase of the reflection and design or also the validation then of these products and services? I feel like it's, it's, it's that, that it wasn't done at all. But I feel sometimes it was done, but disregarded. <laughs> in favor of marketing or in something yeah. else because yeah, yeah. website yeah. design now it, it, it just pushes you to have a newsletter you, know, you have to do sign up for this you have to clear the cookies on that you have to click 10 times before you even see the page that you're looking for and then there's so many ads <laughs> it's really painful especially in these websites it can't read yeah. them yeah uh, as you said sometimes it's not that uh, the the research is not done but it's it's not done sometimes sufficiently for example mm. they would only for some some companies for some products would do the research in the phase of discovery and design and then yeah. they won't validate the final product be- be- before release and there is also an important phase that ignored in many cases it is the phase of listening once your product is released you should listen to users because there are some problems that arise once I start as user using the product for some certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And because you cannot be sure in the phase of validation that you will cover all the profiles and needs and specificities of users. So this is the role of the, the listening phase where you will be listening to what users think or encounter in terms of problems with your product once it's in use and yeah in many times this phase is uh, ignored but it's uh, one of the most important phases because it would allow you even if you did some bad choices you would have the opportunity to correct them and uh, keep enhancing your product i actually love that phase i think talking to the users is a lot of fun <laughs> mashallah yeah. Yeah. um there was a project that I worked on. It's another Muslim founder. It's called Literacy, and it's a visual symptom tracker for people who don't speak the same language as their doctor. And so the whole idea is that you can, at home, you can record your symptoms in a way that is very easy to understand without needing to read any medical words. And then before your appointment, the doctor gets a report on those symptoms, and you don't have to, you can skip all of that translation part and just get right into what's wrong with you. We were testing it with a refugee clinic in America, and the best part was the first, and I was helping with the UX, we went and talked to the refugees, and Marshall, it was a really beautiful experience hearing how excited they were about the project and how meaningful it was to them and hearing the ways that it, it, the friction points that I could never have predicted on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a really valuable and really fun part. It requires a lot of work and listening and being able also to help users orient well and express well their thoughts. But yeah, it's very rewarding at the end. And in many times it teaches you also a lot of new things about the product that you have been designing. and makes you discover that we are not all the same. We don't use the products in the same way. And that's why we are humans, because uh, every one of us has specificities. And, mm-hmm. uh, you cannot, as a one or two or team of humans, predict uh, these aspects. Impossible. Especially mm-hmm. if you're a team of humans who are homogenous. Like. <laughs> and we cannot, we try, everyone of us try, but you still 
you will be still biased in somehow with your yes. process, your business. You have your own background and uh, technical and business background that would impact implicitly or explicitly the design. Yes, yes. Mashallah. Absolutely. And then there's another side. So you're talking about how UX is ignored. People are talking about dark UX now, where the UX principles and the psychologies are being misused to trigger addictive behaviors in people or just for the purpose of... The business. Yeah, the business, exactly. I think that it's not a problem that only specific to UX. We are starting mm, also lot talking about how artificial intelligence is having these similar anti-ethics objectives and behaviors. So, to me, these problems that may emerge about the use of UX or artificial intelligence or whatever, uh, it should encourage that we raise more awareness about what is UX or what is artificial intelligence and how should we use it in the most ethical and correct way. And if you as a company and as a society in general, in schools and the training of students, even if they are not aiming to become all UX researchers and UX designers, there should be awareness about the role of having user-centered reflection about the products and services that you will be constructing or designing to be able to protect your products or users against extreme uses of the UX design for nudging uh, certain extreme consumer behaviors or make people, for example, buy more or choose your product and not others and all these different negative usages of UX. So mm. to me, people should not base their, I would say, uh, skeptical behavior or uh, refusal of the use of UX on the fact that UX can be misused because mm-hmm. it's the case with everything that we can use maybe even in our daily life you can use objects in a positive or negative way and so you should know more about UX you should learn UX you should make your employees your society or students aware of the role of UX so that everyone use it in uh, in a good way mm-hmm. and the fact that there is these patterns behaviors in UX shows somehow that UX can be a very powerful tool and you should use it in a positive way, but to me, it shows that UX can have a very powerful impact on the way your users would perceive or use uh, your products. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. If you're able to create people who are rapidly addicted to your product, then you can use that same principle to make mm-hmm. these people feel empowered to make a positive change in the world. Exactly. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can, for example, use this power of UX to persuade them about uh, how to be more uh, ecologically responsible in using your products or uh, how they can be reasonable about the way how they would uh, use your products in general from different uh, perspectives. Yeah, and even in the case of misinformation, because it's very easy for people to fall in. I think this is such a deep problem that we have now. People are so stuck in their confirmation bias. And if we can have a UX that gently encourages people to challenge their thinking, that would have a profound effect in a lot of different areas. Exactly, and all the problems nowadays around harassment, for example, that the way that 
people may use social media to harass each other and mm-hmm. so forth. You mm-hmm. may use the powerful impact that freaks can have to raise awareness about how harmful can be harassment, uh, how they shouldn't be doing this, and in case they had the mistake to do some, how they would recover from such behaviors and how they can, in their turn, be uh, responsible of raising awareness about this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So you mentioned at several points going through some difficult challenges and facing some setbacks. What mindset or what got you through that? How did you overcome those challenges? The the key point that helped me go through the different challenge with them about the field that I'm defending, which is uh, <laughs> UX and the conviction that I had about the importance of UX and also the second uh, main challenge about defending my identity and proving that I can be myself and I can be uh, successful and these two things are not conflicting. So to me, the, the key point that helped me to move with these two challenges is to be convinced and to keep on keeping faith in the importance of my field and the importance and the value of my identity. And uh, I kept saying to myself that companies should be aware of the importance of my skills and expertise mm-hmm. and the value of them in the, the market. And companies should respect me as I am and see my professional value and not anything else in a professional context. So by keeping the faith and conviction about these two points, I I managed to keep on looking for opportunities and to accept the fact that I had refusals and sometimes some bad experiences with the interview process and it finished by finding the right company that uh, gives the right value to both my expertise and who I am. I love to hear it. I love how confident you are in yourself and in your value and your worth. Mashallah. That's wonderful. Amira, what is the thing that you're most proud of? And why is it so special? I would say the one of the things that I'm proud of is that I succeeded to move so the way that wasn't uh, always easy. And to have the faith and conviction in my choices, in my decisions when I needed to prove it. And to me, uh, many points, key points in the path of my studies and my career was where, thanks to the conviction and faith that I had in my choices and my decisions. So I would say that proud that I kept faith in myself, in my choices and in my identity and my personal choices and my professional choices. Wonderful. (laughs) And that's really nice. And what is something that you regret or you wish you did differently? What I regret very deeply is that I focused a lot during my studies and the the beginning of my career on my studies and my work and I didn't uh, give enough time to my other uh, interests and hobbies. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, teach myself to have this work 
work-life balance. This work-work balance. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was very focused and uh, oriented towards studies and then towards work. And once you uh, have a certain age, it's very difficult to change your your mindset and your habits, you see. It and is. for example, I, when I was young, I was very good at, at painting. Mm. I did some caricatures, etc. And I I lost this because I didn't practice for for many years so i regret and i start to uh, find Edu- this uh, to educate my children differently and to to see this success that i didn't have in carrying out in parallel in my professional life but also my my hobbies and my interests uh, personal interests i would like to see them in my children and uh, make them aware very early that it's important to have this balance and it's important to have hobbies other Mm -hmm. than your work and it's important not to centralize all your energy and interests on your work it makes you a more interesting person i hope that you're getting back into painting Uh, i found that as i because i obviously have the same problem (laughs) (laughs) i found that as i try to get back into my hobbies if i share them with my kids one that's a good time to do it so that's one way to find the time and combine it with family yeah. time and also it's fun you know doing things having your children see yourself be willing to be a beginner and, and not be amazing at something and still have fun with it anyway i think it's a good lesson yeah i'm starting to do uh, this a lot with my my son as mm. well because he likes drawing very well and as you said I'm starting from scratch so sometimes <laughs> he is even painting well than than I do so yeah as you said it's it can be rewarding for your children to see that you are learning with them and you are not perfect and that they can sometimes even teach you how, how to do things so yeah uh, yeah they can teach us yeah. What is something or someone in your tech journey that you're grateful for? Many persons, I would say. Hmm. Even not my tech journey, even the journey before my, my tech. <laughs> I would say first my, my parents, to whom I'm grateful to be there always uh, supporting me in my choices, even in the most difficult one like quitting <laughs> medical studies it wasn't that easy to them to accept and to see what uh, we can do next mm-hmm. i'm also grateful for a professor that i had in uh, the medical studies who encouraged my choice of quitting medical studies <laughs> and she she told me that she was sure that i will be successful whenever i go so it uh, no. it may it it meant a lot to me at this uh, particular time because uh, I needed a lot of positive uh, support to be able yeah. to to be more confident about my choices. And then I'm very grateful for my professor of the second year of bachelor's who made me discover what is human-computer interaction in a very enthusiastic way. And so she basically changed my life direction. I'm grateful also for my husband who supported me a lot my journey starting with my master studies and PhD studies and now in my career so yeah I'm very grateful to him mashallah mm. that's beautiful Amir is there anything else any last words of wisdom or anything that we haven't covered 
last words that I would like to say is that I would encourage every woman in general, every Muslim woman and everyone to not accept at any point of her or his career any compromises between her or his identity, personal choices and her or his career. Yeah. So I would encourage everyone that we are all struggling enough to make our way through our careers, uh, making a lot of effort so no one has the right to make any compromises with our identity, our choices versus our career. Mm-hmm. This is something that I, I want to keep uh, repeating to everyone. Yeah, it can sometimes be uh, hard in some phases of our life, but if we, if everyone keeps struggling, if everyone keeps not accepting compromises, mm-hmm. every company and every business would know that there is something that should not be discussed or touched and they will learn their lessons. That's right. It takes a lot of work from the first, right? The first people in that company, the first people who are different. And it, it does take a lot, ask a lot from them to stay there and to keep holding that door open and to not make any compromises so that the next wave can come in and widen that opening. It's very important work. Yeah, and uh, to me, it's a collective work. Mm. So there should be efforts to be done with societies, uh, decision makers, etc. And just uh, keep faith and be proud of uh, our identities. Yeah, that's it. Alhamdulillah. Amir, I'm so glad that we had this discussion. It's, (laughs) Mashallah, you've been so helpful. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to learn more about you yeah i was also very happy to have this uh, chat with you thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this story please consider following us and leaving a review if you like the episode that really helps us a lot and definitely share it with your friends and co-workers anyone you think that might benefit from these stories we really hope that texas is something that grows and impacts everybody who needs to hear it so every share helps <laughs> And if you're a Muslim woman in tech, please go ahead and join our community on Slack. It's free. It's fun. Really supportive. We have great discussions in there. Yeah, I'd love to see you there. And that's all from me. I'll see you next week with a new story. Salam.